Hey, good morning. Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. We're glad to have you with us. Thank you, worship team and uh, Pastor Joel for leading us to this point. Um, We're really grateful for our volunteers and all they do. Um, And our worship team is made up fully of volunteers. We're so grateful for the time and effort they put in to lead us this way. So thanks, guys. Um, Even you, Greg. Thank you. Hey, if you are new to Grace Point Church, um, you need to know a couple things. Um, One, we're glad you're here, and we hope that you're encouraged and refreshed by your time with us as we kind of lift our eyes from the things that are in our our, um, world of anxieties and worries and move our eyes and our heart to God. Um, Another thing that we do and is a part of our our culture here at Grace Point is we're involved in a partnership with four other organizations called Together 2013. That's a partnership between Grace Point Church, Keystone Church, Peckway Valley School District, Paradise Township, and the Factory Ministries, in which we're doing a variety of things this summer for the common good in our community. Uh, I just wanted to report in for, our, our, for everyone's sake, for that matter, that we've been able to finish the summer school event this past week, which was great, a very successful time. You should know the conversation continues to happen about how to keep developing um, planning for early childhood education and perhaps what role we can play in that in our, in our community. Um, the next thing on the docket for us is going to be um, the development of the furniture bank at the factory ministries. Right now, there's not a furniture bank locally for those who need furniture to go to. We're going to be working on renovating a part of the old elementary school for a furniture bank in our community, so keep your eyes out for when that will come your way. Um, and then further down the pike, um, toward the end of the summertime, We'll also be working with Paradise Park in some beautification projects at the Paradise Park area, some basic landscaping and and greenery, that kind of thing. Okay, so just just still some things going on. That's our Together 2013 update for today. Okay, you have reached us in a day when we are um, continuing our series called 150. Um, This is subtitled, A Collection of Man's Greatest Reflections on the Fullness of God. Our 150 series is uh, really based on a key core value that we hold at Grace Point Church, and it's this core value right here, that we say that the fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day. The fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day, and we're calling this series 150 because we're looking at the book of Psalms, in which there's 150 of the Psalms, and and our belief is that within the, the scriptures, within the Psalms, we see the brokenness of man moving us toward, taking us our vision toward the fullness of God. And in each of the Psalms that we've covered this, this series, this summertime, we've seen kind of the limited perspective of man, the, the brokenness of man, the fallenness of man, in light of the fullness and hope that God provides and God allows. And so by way of brief review this morning, the first psalm that we covered was Psalm chapter or Psalm 1, excuse me. And here's what we said about Psalm 1, that the more I want to know what God wants me to know, the stronger I become. The image there in Psalm 1 is the image of you yourself being planted as a tree is planted by streams of water, being fed by the living word of God. That the more that I want to know whatever God wants me to know, then the stronger I can become. This is Psalm 1. Because by myself, I cannot know the things that God, the the things that will be the best for my life. So the the stronger I want to be, the more I'm going to want to know what God wants me to know. The second psalm we covered was Psalm 51, a a popular psalm in the sense of very common for those who've been around church circles. When David sinned with Bathsheba and um, actually killed her husband and all that, bad stuff. And here's what we said, that confession chases shame and replaces it with fullness of joy. In other words, that confession becomes God's gift of grace to us 
taking us from this place where we just know, we know that we have sinned, we've fallen, we've failed, and confession is God's gift to us to kind of chase that shame that would just eat us up and restore to us the fullness of joy in life that comes. And this is what we see in David's confession psalm in Psalm 51. Then we cover this Psalm 90. This is actually a psalm of Moses. And in there we said that if you want to be more than a number, live like your days are numbered. We looked at Moses and his point that, he, Lord, establish my, uh, my, the work of my hands. Yes, establish the work of my hands. This desire that I will, will number my days. Teach me, Lord, to number my days. And this idea, again, that we want our lives to matter, but we're not sure if we are going the right direction. And Moses is going to say, this wise old man at the end of his life, if you want your life to count to be more than number, live with the intentionality that your days are indeed numbered. This is Psalm 90. Then Psalm 130 we covered last week, and here's what we said there, and this was, uh, this was my cheesy one, all right? This, was, this one rhymes and could go on a Hallmark card if you want, and I think I told you I wouldn't even buy it if it were on a Hallmark card, but it's here. Psalm 130, watch through the night and God will bring the morning light, okay? This idea that sometimes we are in the pit, in the depths of, of trouble, of, of sin, or of, of a health crisis, or whatever it might be, and we are just feeling that the night is on us. And the psalmist is saying, hey, in that time, there's certain things you can do and certain things you can't do. And what you can't do is you can't bring the sun. You can't bring the sunrise. While you wait for God to do what he's going to do, you watch through the night actively. Do the things that you can do and keep your eyes on God. Okay, this is our brief review of Psalm of the, the 150 series. Now, this morning, as we get into this series, we're going to go another direction. We're still tapping into this idea that man is broken. We're still tapping into this value that our world and our, our thinking is limited in perspective. In fact, it's kind of one of these moments as we get into the, the psalm for this morning when we have uh, experienced this ourselves. I know I have, and I have no doubt that you have. Perhaps at a summer camp, or perhaps at the mountains, perhaps on a mission trip, perhaps when you went through a significant loss of some kind. Some of you, I know, recently have lost jobs. Others of you are having conflict with spouses or have been having that in the past. Some of you have really kind of entered into a financial turmoil, and that has really kind of thrown your world, and you've been forced to stop and rethink, what in the world am I doing with my life, and what should I do that's the right way to move forward? These moments, if you want to imagine kind of a, a, a campfire at the end of a, a weekend or your, uh, your, your week-long week camp, and you sit down at the campfire, and finally the camp counselor is like, okay, does anybody have anything that they want to say? And all the emotion, all the stuff of the week kind of comes out to you, and you're like, wow, you know, this is what God's teaching me. This is what I need to learn. This is the things that I've been, oh, I just need to know what to do. If only I knew, if only I knew what God wanted me to do because I just have this sense in my life right now that I really need to make sure that my life is really going in the right direction. I'm really not sure if I should date this guy or not, and I just have this, mm, I just really don't want to make a mistake. I don't know if I should get engaged now or not, and I just, mm, I don't want to make a mistake. And is now the time for us to have kids, and, and about that, buying that house, if we buy a house and we kind of get tied down, and like, is now the time to do that? And man, my kids, they're starting to grow up, and boy, they're not kind of turning out the way I envisioned they would, and I start to think as a parent, have I done enough, and am I doing enough? Are the days so fleeting that I'm losing my influence on my kids as they're starting to 
go to school and hang out with their friends and have I done enough? And man, this kind of time of reflection and boy, now my kids are out of the home and I look at what they've done. Now I look at across the, the, the table and I see my wife or my husband. And I'm like, who are you? Like, we haven't even known each other for years as we've been looking at the kids and now I need to rethink, oh, what do I do now? What, what direction do I go? These moments in life when you kind of stop the, the wheel of life and the cycle of life and just kind of put a pause in that and are forced to rethink, God, where do you want me to go now? I really want to make sure that the next place that I go is the right place to go. I really want to make sure now that what I do now I know will impact my future and the future legacy and impact that I will leave. So I really want to be sure that the next steps are right. And if you could sign up for a seminar on knowing God's will, you would do it. If there was such a thing that could be delivered so easily to you. This is the moment this morning that the writer of our psalm, I believe, finds himself in. That moment that comes, not all the time in life, but every now and then it comes and it just stops us where we are when we're reflective and think, boy, I want to be sure that the next steps are right. What do I do? And here's our brokenness coming into play. It's a problem of perspective, limited perspective. You and I cannot see as far ahead as God can. You and I can't even see as close as God can. In other words, he can see our hearts in a way that we cannot. And so God gives us to us this morning in our psalm for this morning a perspective from someone who is wanting the same thing and lays out a beautiful, beautiful psalm that has been the subject of many um, Christian calendars and websites and Hallmark cards, yes, uh, for generation upon generation upon generation. A psalm that if you've been in church at all, you're, you're familiar with, most likely. And if you haven't been in church before, you will become very familiar with it very quickly. A beautifully written psalm, a well-composed psalm, a psalm that lays out the beauty and splendor and power of God in a way that few others do. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, as we get into that psalm this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, not a problem. There's one near you, one around you, in the pew near you. Um, that Bible, if you don't own one, is our gift to you this morning. You can have that, take that home with you, read that, um, and engage with the life of God in those pages. The book of Psalms is found right in the middle, essentially, of your Bible. And uh, Psalm 139 is toward the end of that collection of Psalms. You can just flip to uh, about the middle, and you can find the book of Psalms, and then, and then shoot right over to Psalm 139. Okay? And this is what David, the author of the psalm, I believe, is going to say. I'm going to tell you this now, and I'm going to explain it. Okay? This is what I think, as we see it up here on the screen, what David is going to tell us through this psalm, and that is this. If you want to know what God wants you to do, you have to know what he knows about you. Got that? If you want to know what God wants you to do, you have to know what he knows about you. Okay? So let's check it out in Psalm 139. Beautiful psalm. David writes, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. 
Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Beautiful psalm. Beautiful psalm of David. One that has been a favorite of mine for, I can't even remember how long, um, since before junior high, probably when I first encountered it. I loved what it said. Uh, I have to tell you, there's one section that's kind of weird in there. And and you may have picked it up even as I was reading it. And that is verses 19 to 22. Really kind of off. In all the places you've ever seen Psalm 139 posted or quoted, you've probably never seen verses 19 to 22 on the next calendar page, right? In July on the calendar it might say, oh, you're fearfully, uh, it it might say, "Um, your works are wonderful, we know that full well. And then August, you flip to August and it says, if only you would slay the wicked, O God with a picture of the waterfall behind. I mean, that doesn't happen, right? You know, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. I mean, what is he saying? Your adversaries misuse your name. This whole thing sticks out like a sore thumb. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Abhor those who rise against you? I have nothing but hatred of God. I count them my enemies. And then he says in verse 23, search me. See if there's anything offensive in me. Like, how about what you just said, David? I mean, come on now. Doesn't that seem a little off? Just to put that in some perspective, um, David lived in a different time and place than we did. He was a different man than we were. Um, one of David's uh, crowning moments, and you remember this even from, um, from Sunday school or hearing it at some point if you've never been in Sunday school, is David the king takes care of the big giant named Goliath. In that process, we kind of romanticize it, but the reality is we have a, a, a young man who in a very earthy way takes the sword and decapitates another man. And... You can imagine the feeling of that and the reality. This is a man of the sword who's, who's killed before and who's been fighting in battle before and who has legitimate enemies who are coming after him with the sword. And he has seen his fair share of bloodshed. And he's been involved in his fair share of taking life. And so he says, in a way to express to God his devotion to him, I am so for you, God, that anyone who is against you, I am against in that same way. Kind of this pure and holy passion that whoever is for you, I'm for. 
Whoever is against you, I'm against. You are so strong and so powerful and so mighty. Granted, we don't talk that way as much, but this is David's world. This is his way of expressing his passion and commitment to the great creator God. Outside of verses 19 to 22, everything else in that psalm resonates beautifully, doesn't it? Oh, this great imagery that God is with us all the time that he's made us. Theologians will use terms like uh, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. These omni words, which means that God is always present and he is all powerful. He is all knowing that there is nothing or no one that exists or has ever been created that God does not know about. The intricacies of our bodies he has created in such a way that we can't even fathom. In fact, I appreciate the way Stephen, Jones, Stephen Cole excuse me, wrote about the intricacies of our body. And here's what he said as we think about how far God knows us. He, he writes that every second, more than 100,000 chemical reactions take place in your brain. Amazing. Some of us, it's a little less than that, but generally speaking, right? It has 10 billion nerve cells to record what you see and hear. That information comes to your brain through the miracle of the eye which has 100 million receptor cells, rods and cones in each eye. Your retina has four other layers of nerve cells. Altogether, the system makes the equivalent of 10 billion calculations a second before an image even gets to the optic nerve. And then once it reaches your brain, the cerebral cortex has more than a dozen separate vision centers in which to process it. Your tear ducts supply a bacteria-fighting fluid to protect your eyes from infection. The tears that fight irritants differ from the tears of sadness, which contain 24% more proteins. That's not to mention the miracle of the ear and how it translates sound waves into meaningful speech and sounds, or of touch, taste, and smell. You have more than 200 bones, each shaped for its own function, connected intricately to one another through lubricated joints that cannot be perfectly duplicated by modern science. More than 500 muscles connected to these bones. Some obey willful commands and others perform their duty in response to unconscious commands from the brain. They all work together to keep us alive and the heart muscle itself beats over 100,000 times each day, pumping blood cells a distance of 168 million miles. One square inch of your skin has about 625 sweat glands. Isn't that interesting? 19 feet of blood vessels and 19,000 sensory cells. Working in coordination with your brain, it maintains your body at a steady 98.6 degrees under all weather conditions. Coupled with that, your lungs automatically breathe in the right amount of life-giving oxygen, about 438 cubic feet each day which just happens to be mixed with the right, in, in the right proportion, about 20% oxygen, 80% nitrogen, within our atmosphere. Each of the other vital organs and glands works in complex conjunction with the others to sustain life, which science cannot explain or recreate. Just our bodies, part of them. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You've knit me together in my mother's womb. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and, and before. If I were to settle on the far side of the sea, your, your hand would guide me. Your right hand would hold me fast. Amazing imagery, isn't it? Powerful imagery of the presence of God and the knowledge of God, of, of who we are. But my question is this. In the midst of all this beauty, right? In the midst of an incredibly beautiful psalm, I want to know, why did David write this? 
Why did he write this? I mean, he's getting done with his kingly duties for the day, and we don't really know when this fits within the course of his reign. So he gets done with his duties for the day, and does he just sit down instead of turning on the TV or flipping on Netflix or whatever? He says, you know, I'm going to write Psalm 139, because I think Psalm 139 sounds like a good number, and it's going to be remembered forever, and people are going to love that I'm going to write this beautiful thing about God. What is it that's going on in David's mind that makes him write this psalm? And truthfully, historically, we don't know. We cannot recreate the original context. We cannot recreate the occasion. I I don't know why or what was going on historically in David's life. And so the only thing that I'm left with is to try to figure out from the context, from what he wrote, why did he write this? Was it simply to reflect on the beauty and power of God? Because mostly when we read Psalm 139, that's what we get. Oh, a beautiful, powerful, strong God. Very true, very true, very true. And that's what I remember as a child. Very true. But I'm telling you, there's more to this psalm than that. And what I see in this psalm and the clues that I see here begin, or at the beginning and at the end. In verse 1, David says, Oh Lord, you have what? Oh Lord, you have what? Searched me, and you know me. Verse 23 says what? Oh Lord, search me. Right? Search me. And know my heart. Interesting. At the beginning and end of this psalm, this concept of searching is in David's mind. So you think about what makes him sit down to write. Where does he begin and where does he end? There's something in David that wants God to search him. And it's interesting. In verse 1, the searching is in what tense? Past, present, or future? I know it's not English class. I'm sorry for those of you who hated that. We're not going to be here long. But it's in what tense? past. In other words, he's coming to the table. He's writing down, I don't know, taking the quill out, okay, and writing right to left in Hebrew, which I don't understand. Okay, he's writing right to left. Oh, Lord, you have searched me, past tense, as if it's actually done, right? That, that's what past tense means, and that's the tense of this verb. You have done it. And then he goes on to write all of this stuff about God and how much God knows him. And then verse 23, searches in what tense? Present, good. Let's not say past or future, good. Present, there we go. It's in present tense. Interesting. Why in the world would David now, didn't you just say though, David, in verse 1, that God, you did search me? Oh Lord, you have searched me. And you know me. Oh, and now, by the time I'm done, search me. And know my heart. Now wait, all right. David, didn't you know that you already were searched in verse 1? Did you forget what you wrote? I mean, it was a couple of verses ago, but, you know, you've been searched, my friend. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me. And then how does he finish? And lead me in the what? Lead me in the way everlasting. However David ends, I believe, is why in the world he sat down to write this in the first place. This concept of lead me in the way everlasting, that language is used in Jeremiah as well. The way everlasting is this um, ancient path of wisdom, if you will, this moral will of God. In Jeremiah, here's what Jeremiah says to the nation of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. That's our language here for the way everlasting. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. 
that this idea would have had a common, a shared understanding within the context of what David was writing. He was writing to people when he says, lead me in the way everlasting, immediately they would know, oh, 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 you mean like the ancient path, the moral way of God, the way that God wants us to go. He wants us to go this direction, but I'm kind of leaning over here, but he wants us to move here, and this is also kind of a way of mystery. Like, I don't know, and I can't tell exactly what God wants me to do. Sound familiar? I wish I knew where God wanted me to work. I just wish I knew what God wanted me to do with my family, but I kind of want to go there, but I don't know I want to be sure I'm making the right steps to marry the right person and do this with my children and spend my money this way and retire this way or not retire or handle my health thing this way. I just wish I knew the way that you were leading me. And so David, I believe, comes to the point where he sits down and I think the occasion for the writing, the reason that he's writing is because he comes to that point where we all have and he says, in this moment... I need the God who knows everything, and not just everything out there, but everything in me. I need him to search me anew and to kind of remind myself of all the ways that he knows me. I need him to search me so that I can be led in the way everlasting, so that my choices will line up with God's moral will, because I am broken and I have limited perspective. I cannot see all the things that God wants me to see. And so he says, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Now the question becomes, what does this mean to search, right? Okay. What does it mean to search? And I'll tell you, for most of us who um, have ever been exposed to this concept in a church environment before, here's what searching means. We're about to take communion. You have about eight seconds before you get served communion. Close your eyes and just, God, did I do anything wrong this week? Anybody mad at me? Now's your time. Okay. I'm good. Communion. Pass it down. And we have just allowed God to search us. I mean, what more is there? What more? I mean, that's it, right? I mean, how else do we do this thing? Searching. In, in a corporate environment, in a, in a group gathering, in, in our worship environment, often becomes that. And so when we hear that word, search me, oh God, okay, that sounds kind of like a neat idea out there, but how does it work in practice? And I'm telling you that what's under this is way, way, way more than 10 seconds before communion gets served. What's underneath this is way more than that. And the reason why, number one, the word means way more than that, means it's probing and deep searching, kind of like if you lost your car keys, and you have small children, do you go into the house to try to find them, or do you send the small children to go find them? Wow, really? <laughs> right, right, who's going to go in? The little kid, I mean, yeah, I looked. I, I, can, you, can you imagine that? Send your little kid in to go find the, the car keys. They open the front door. Don't see them. Close the door, and that's the end of the search. And you're like, no, I need a little more than that. And so you go in and you desperately search all around because you need it. You just need the car keys. And this is kind of that image of searching. Like, I need to get under the bed. I need to go over top of the dresser in your life. I need to do the white glove inspection. Search me every little place. Search me and know my heart. And then he says, verse 23, search me, know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. That word for testing is the same word used for kind of melting metal. 
to determine the strength of its character and integrity. And it's an ongoing reality. So it's, it's really odd, isn't it? Have you, when's the last time you invited the testing of God? When, when we get tested and our character gets tested, we're like, God, can you bring me through this quickly? And the prayer request is, man, God, bring me through. I don't want to lose that. I don't want to lose that. But just kind of help me get through. And David, an incredibly courageous thing to do or incredibly foolish, I don't know which one, but he's like, hey, God of the universe, test me. Test me. With the heat that you use to smelt the iron, if you will, to test the character of that metal. Come on, bring it to me. Test me. Because I want to be searched. This is more than 10 seconds before communion comes, right? This is an ongoing reality. This verse is very interesting because it gives us a perspective that otherwise we don't have. In in biblical poetry, one of the um, common um, practices of someone who is a poet, and David in this case, is to, to use what we call parallel thought and structure. You'll see how this works here if you haven't seen it before. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Those two concepts that are highlighted there, search and test, are synonymous. They, they are um, ideas that kind of help us understand the full picture of what he wants. God, I want you to search me. To clarify that a little bit, what I'm really saying is test me. Okay? Work me through some tests to see what my integrity really is. The parallels continue. And know, the verb is the same, the controlling verb in both of those. I want you to know, and that's this intimate knowledge, this really, really intimate knowledge of God. And so you can kind of see where we're going here. The last two phrases, my heart and my anxious thoughts, are also parallel thoughts here. And so this is where I hope it gains traction for you and for me this morning. That David somehow is sitting there in his world and he's saying, God, I don't know what path to go on, but I'm anxious about it. My heart is anxious that I will not, whatever, I will not make the impact as a king that I want to make. That my family is falling apart right before me while I'm supposed to be king. And these are things that are making me anxious And so as we think about how in the world can God search me and know me, here is where kind of the rubber meets the road, the so what question. The first question I see from the psalm alone is this, what makes me anxious? More than simply saying and then having a quiet moment, God search me, know me, okay, nothing's wrong, good. I invited searching and I'm good. Here's another question to ask and allow God to answer for you. God, show me and reveal to me where I'm anxious. And to be honest, you're not even going to need to ask that question because you're going to be the one telling God, God, this is where I'm anxious. I'm anxious for my whatever, children. I'm anxious for my legacy. I feel like, God, I'm just kind of rolling through the motions. I don't really know what is next for me in my life. I don't really know the kind of impact I'm going to make. God, I'm just kind of rolling through the motions and, and I've got the health thing coming up. I'm just not sure what I'm going to do in terms of how I handle that. You don't need me to tell you the things that you're anxious about. It's right in front of you. And here's the blessing of that, just like James talks about in James 1. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Consider it pure joy when you encounter difficulties and trials because your anxiousness and my anxiousness is a place where we say, God, when I'm anxious, this is where I want you to test me, to develop in me a reliance on you through my anxiety. Worried about going to school. Worried about the job. The money isn't quite lining up. The sickness is still there. My kids aren't doing that. Boy, we got this coming. I don't know which direction to go. 
and my husband isn't, and my wife isn't, my boss isn't, and I'm not, and I just wish, and mm, if only, mm, test me and know my anxious thoughts. Where I'm anxious, God, teach me where I've gone off the ancient path. Teach me right there where I've stopped trusting you and developed a trust in myself. Teach me right there how to get back on to do the things that I know that I should be doing. This this testing, this searching, this desire must come from deep within because that's where the lessons will be learned. This searching that David invites is a searching that goes beyond a moment or two where I just kind of quietly think about, is there anything wrong in my life? No, okay, we're good. I haven't hit anybody this week. I cursed a lot less this week and, you know, kind of okay. It goes well beyond that. And it goes into this deep-seated desire to say, in this moment, in this time, I want to make sure that as I keep stepping forward, and you do every hour of every day, you're making these decisions. As you keep stepping forward, I want to be sure that those steps are on the ancient path, that they're on the way everlasting. And I know, and I know, that I alone cannot be trusted. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive or sinful way in me. And lead me, God in the way everlasting. Here's what David is saying. If you want to know what God wants you to do, you have to know what he knows about you. What he knows about you is more than you know about you. It's more than I know about me. He's knit us together. He's hemmed us in behind him before. When I wake, he's still with us. If we were to be in the darkness, the darkness would be like light to him. There's nowhere I can go from his presence, nowhere I can go from his spirit. Search me, test me, and know me. And those points of anxiety in particular are, I believe, those great teaching moments where we say, wow, this is the moment. I am am concerned about this. I'm worried about this. I'm owning this. I'm leaning too much into this. I think I can control it. And God is telling you, listen, The reason you're anxious is because you've stepped over here and you're not stepping into the way everlasting. The reason you're anxious, it's like a warning sign. Come on back. Let me teach you about why you're anxious. Let me teach you about your trust problems. Let me teach you about your self-confidence problems. Let me teach you about how you've been impacted by the people that you've been around for years and years and years. Let me teach you about who you are because I want you to go in the right way the ancient path of wisdom. The more you know about what God knows about you, the clearer our steps will become. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time this morning to investigate Psalm 139, to see an incredibly beautiful psalm, one that's so so eloquently written so well put together, so powerful and strong in its imagery, and yet one that also is driven, I believe, by a deep-seated desire of a man, of a king who really wanted to do the right thing with his life, who wanted at the end of his life to know that he had been walking in the way everlasting. And he knew, and he knew, that if he was going to do that, that he needed the searching and the testing 
that you bring to us. So I pray for us this morning, Father, for courage to step into the anxieties, the worries, the stressors that are already on our minds and our hearts, and to ask you, Father, continue to test me on this, teach me on this, that I may use this as a way to learn who in the world I am and what you're trying to shape in me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Give us that courage. To do that, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray.